Alright, welcome to the next episode of the Wannabe Inklings. Just a reminder, this season we are talking about covenant theology, promise. Um, but because of who we are as people, we're kind of taking some leisurely strolls down some tangential roads, which is fine because this is not seminary, as we said. So today, this episode... Um, we're going to take some time to talk through uh, just the implications of who is Israel um, in, in our study. This is a big point of disagreement between covenant theologians and dispensationalists, which, as we've discussed, those are kind of the two competing viewpoints. Just like in uh, last season, we had Calvinism versus Arminianism. And also, just a reminder, everyone is different, so by no means are we saying that everyone falls neatly into these camps. Some of these things that we're saying dispensationalists believe, your local uh, dispensationalist may not believe quite this way. Your mileage may vary. So I always like to add that uh, disclaimer up front. We're painting with broad strokes here, and the point of all of this is, again, just to whet your appetite, and hopefully drive you back to Scripture to do some research on your own. So let's go around the room and introduce ourselves again, um, just so we're all clear. And uh, by way of introduction, tell us who you are, and tell us what you know about Israel. Well, <laughs> I guess that's me. Um, I'm David, and I know uh, that Israel was a... Uh, it was a nation that was um, uh, started in 1948, right after World War II. Uh, the, the Western powers um, decided to adopt a plan t- for the resettlement of the Jewish peoples in Palestine. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's modern Israel. Uh, and that's as much as I'm going to say, because I'm not getting into all that. <laughs> Hello, uh, my name is Dustin, and... Uh... I've been a Christian for five years. Can I get a clap, please? No, no, this is not AA. Okay, we got a, we got snaps too. Um, <laughs> uh, what do I believe about Israel? Was that the question? What do you think? know? What do I know about Israel? Uh, I know that true Israel are the people Jesus saved. Um, we in this room are true Israel, um, just by virtue of being grafted in. Um, I believe that it doesn't, it's not going to be just Gentiles, um, probably Jewish people as well. I mean, I mean, we'll get into that later. I'm just, I don't, I don't know what to say. Anyways, Nicholas, your turn. All right. Um, I am not Nikolai Carpathia. Um, I am Nicholas Johnson. Um, and honestly, I don't know much about Israel, but I know about plants. And I know that whatever the root of a plant is, the whole plant must be. And um, I will leave it at that. All right, uh, and uh, once again, I'm Dusty. That was a lot of fun. I did that on purpose. For you guys listening, they had no idea I was going to ask them that question. I think that's a good uh, way of bringing out the personalities of each of us. 
you can tell obviously that David is our resident historian, Nicholas is our resident left fielder, and <laughs> Dustin is our our resident literalist, and uh, he gave you a taste of what's to come. So for me, I'm the resident uh, Jewish custom practitioner. Um, I say that as we're coming off of our eighth day of Hanukkah, as we're recording this. Um, in my home, we celebrate as much of the Jewish feasts as we can. We have some little kids, and so that's not always as easy to do. But uh, that's that's what Israel is to me, um, among other things. Obviously, not to simplify it down to just that. But in my home, we have a great reverence for the history of Israel, the Jewish feasts, the customs, and the teachings we get both from the Bible, the Old Testament, and from the rabbis historically. Of course, we do all that through the lens of Jesus, but um, we have a great, great respect for the richness and the history and the depth that comes from that, and, and we'll get into that a little bit more later on. So, uh, let's transition then. Um, we... We alluded to this a little bit in our previous episodes, talking about um, talking about Israel and what that means from a covenant theologian point of view versus a dispensationalist point of view. So we believe scripturally that God has chosen to reveal his character and his will, um, his nature, his promises towards us in the form of covenants. Uh, now, if if all of this is brand new to you, just hang on, because in a future episode, we are going to break down the covenants a little bit more. Um, but again, this is not seminary, so we're kind of doing this in a different order. But um, we believe that God has ch uh, chosen to reveal himself through this covenantal structure. And a large number of those covenants are made with uh, the Jewish people. They're made with... You know, Abraham, uh, obviously kind of chief among those, and then also with David, and then Noah as a precursor to that, and Adam, of course, as a precursor to that. So there's much to be seen through the way God relates to the nation of Israel in the Bible from a covenantal standpoint. But here in this modern age, um, as dispensationalists would call it, the church age, we kind of have a quandary because what does that mean of the covenants that God has with Israel today when the nation of Israel, the one that we see, the one that David described that was reestablished in um, 1948? Did I get that year right? 1948, yes. Um, they adopted the plan in 47 and it occurred in 1948. Yes, thank you. Our, <laughs> our resident footnote. Um <laughs> So what do we do with these covenant promises made to the nation of Israel when the current nation of Israel, it, it could be said, is not a Christ-believing, Christ-following nation? Uh, they're certainly not a theocracy in the way that they were in the Old Testament. Um, their governmental structure is vastly different from what we see in the Old Testament as well. And so what do we do with all of that? And you add on top of that the fact that the Jews still ethnically are dispersed. They are not all residing in one nation. Um, so what do we do with that? How do we parse 
what Scripture says about Israel, about the children of Abraham, and how do we, as people who are not ethnically Jews, but who trust in Christ and believe in him, how do we parse that? Um, how do we read through a scripture that's written from a largely Hebraic point of view, that's written with primarily Jewish eyes and with significantly Jewish readers in mind? How do we, as Gentiles, um, look into that and what is our part in that? So, uh, just to recap, the dispensationalist point of view, again, your mileage may vary. The classic view is that God kind of has two tracks of salvation. Um, that in this church age, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, um, his atonement on the cross paid for our sins, and that is how the church, capital C, uh, is saved. Um, the church, we get that term from uh, the Greek word ecclesia, which means the gathering. And so it's this idea that God gathered these people from uh, all of the nations into this body called the church. And that this was a great mystery. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, God was dealing almost exclusively with the nation of Israel. I say almost exclusively. We'll pick up on that in a second. But he was primarily dealing with the nation of Israel. And so we have this hiccup in history after the cross in which God kind of turns his attention to all of the other nations. Um, and they are all gathered in to this church which dispensationalists largely believe will eventually be raptured away, taken away. Um, many believe in secret. Some don't believe that. Um, but they will be taken away from the earth at some point in the future, after which a great tribulation will occur. Um, and then God kind of turns his attention back to ethnic Israel. I'm painting with broad strokes here. A lot of people believe different variations of that. But generally speaking, that's kind of how the dispensationalists deal with God's relationship between Israel versus the church. They definitely see them as two distinct people groups. Um, and that how God deals with them is a little bit different. Now some do believe that the salvation that is given to the Jews actually occurs differently from the salvation that's given to the church. I, I want to emphasize some. Again, your local dispensationalist may not believe this, but classically, there is this belief that there is a special and mysterious salvation that comes to the Jewish people just simply because God has elected them and he will save them. Um, and that they're regeneration by the Holy Spirit and turning into uh, to faith in Christ, uh, that's not necessarily how they view that will happen. They believe that that's how the church is saved, but what happens with Israel is different. Some spinoffs of those beliefs, you get into people thinking that one day in the future the uh, institutional sacrifices will be put back into place. 
there will be another temple built, and basically just like Old Testament reset again um, once the church is out of the picture. How all of that works together in their mind, you'll just have to ask them. I, I can't tell you. Um, but I set that up just kind of as a contrast to what we're about to talk about. Um, so that's generally the opposing view, that there are two tracks of salvation, there are two peoples of God, that the ethnic Jews are one thing that God has kind of put on the back burner for now while he deals with the church, meaning the Gentiles, and that once he's finished up with us, he takes us out of the picture and he turns his attention back to the Jews. That's kind of the, again, the dispensational, this idea that God kind of has a, a one-track mind and he switches from one thing to another to another to another throughout history. <clears throat> so, not to put too fine a point on it. So, we stand in contrast to that as covenant theologians. And again, there's some diversity within covenant theology about how exactly this is applied. But broadly speaking, we believe that God has one plan of salvation which was made manifest through the covenants he's made with his people throughout history. And that, broadly speaking, there are two covenants. Um, there is the covenant of works, which was present in the garden. Didn't work out so well for us. And then, immediately following the fall of man, God instituted a covenant of grace. Um, that was prefigured in the promise that God made that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent and um, that covenant of grace was later made manifest in more and more gradual revelations through the various other covenants we see in, in history chiefly being um, or initially being the covenant that he makes with Abraham in which he makes a specific promise to Abraham concerning his seed the seed of Abraham so when that picks up then in the book of Romans and in Galatians, there are specific words um, or specific callbacks to that covenant that God makes with Abraham. Um, in Galatians, Paul points out that the covenant, that the promise was made to Abraham's offspring, singular, not to offsprings, plural. So Paul kind of enlightens us that this promise that God made to Abraham's seed was to one particular descendant of Abraham. Um, we can see later on in the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God makes with David, that there will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne. He was talking about Jesus. Anyways. Yes. Thank you. That's That was very lovely. <laughs> yes, getting there. So he's talking about um, you know, the promise that he makes to David that there will always be a descendant of David on the throne forever. And this is why those boring parts at the beginning of the Gospels where they list out the lineage is very, very important. Yes. So the promise that he made to David that uh, there would be a descendant on his throne forever was not that, as they probably understood it at the time, that David would have you know, continual, he would continuously have descendants, that his line would never die out, and that son after son after son after son after son would sit on his throne. Again, not to many, not to plural, but to one in particular. And so 
we see gradually in all of these covenants that there was one that that covenant was ultimately going to be fulfilled in, and that's Christ. Christ was the descendant, singular, of David that would forever be on his throne. Christ is forever going to be on the throne of David. Um, and the offspring, singular, of Abraham that all nations would be blessed by uh, doesn't refer to the many sons of Israel, <clears throat> but instead to the singular son, to Christ, uh, by whom we know now on this side of history, all, literally all nations have been blessed. And so then we pick up in Romans 9, um, we'll read a little bit further down in Romans 11 in a minute, but Romans 9 gives this, in my opinion, in my reading, a crystal clear statement that not all who are children of Abraham are Israel, um, and not all Israel are children of Abraham. Uh, depending on the translation you read, that's worded a little bit differently, but it, it's this idea that not all biological children of Abraham are the children of Abraham, spiritually speaking. Um, and not all of the spiritual children of Abraham are the biological children of Abraham. To my mind, you don't get more clear than that. Yet still there is debate. I don't want to make light of the debate. Um, certainly there are people who have devoted their lives to studying this thing in particular. And so I don't want to just throw all of their reasons out the window. However, uh, from the covenant theologian point of view, this line in, of, in and of itself is pretty definitive. That there exists an Israel, a group of people known as the children of, of Abraham, Abraham's seed, Abraham's offspring, Israel, which is a spiritual group. It is united by a spiritual thing. It goes on to say in, uh, in that chapter and in other places that the whole contrast between Isaac and Ishmael is that Ishmael came about from just naturally, uh, people just naturally figuring out how biology works. Abraham was told that he was going to have a child. He figured out that that wasn't possible through Sarah, so he figured out that he could have a child with Hagar, and there's Ishmael. Well, that's not a child of promise. That's not a child of faith. That's a child resulting from lack of faith. But Isaac, on the other hand, was a child of promise. It took faith, um, not just in his conception, but later on in the, the binding of Isaac. Um, and so the, the distinction that's made there is this is to signify that the children, the descendants, are united not by blood, but by faith. And so that brings us to the conclusion of most covenant theologians there is some disagreement, but for the most part, we believe that the plan of God has always been to have a multinational group of people that he calls Israel. And so when he is foreshadowing and, and prophesying with Abraham, he doesn't envision this future per parenthetical period of time, this parenthesis of time known as the church age that he just kind of kept as a secret but that he was always looking forward to a time when the entire world was saved 
and again refer to last season, what we mean when we say the whole world. But the entire world is saved through Abraham. And that is, that becomes Israel, spiritual Israel. That becomes the the family of Abraham. Right. <clears throat> and so the, the trick becomes, we we believe this thing. Paul teaches us this thing in Romans 9. And then later, in the same letter, by the same author, in the same context, he goes on to use the, lang- the same language, Israel. And <coughs> so we've, we already see that this author views Israel this one way. And so we have to keep in mind later, when he's using the same language of Israel, that he has given his definition of what he means when he says that. But it is also true that at the same time, there was a physical place of Israel. Um, So we have to be careful and mindful of our context, but also our systematic theology when we're approaching these issues. Because it is true that Paul, or the author of other letters, can be referring to physical Israel. But it is also possible, as we've seen, and as Paul said, that he could be referring to spiritual Israel. And so we have to consider the context, but we also have to consider the theology that we know is true from other places in the Bible when we're trying to discern which way Paul is using this term. Um, And so that's going to be important when we get to later scripture. So let's take a moment to remind ourselves, though, why this matters. Um, This is obviously a a fun intellectual exercise to parse scripture and and talk about what refers to what. Um, But why is this important? As we discussed in a previous episode, this has a profound impact on how we read and interpret scripture, specifically the Old Testament. If we believe that God's dealings with the nation of Israel, the the ethnic Jews, uh, is completely separate from his dealing with the church, that greatly affects how we read the Old Testament. And it greatly affects how we read some of the words of Christ. There's this attitude that we really should discount or excuse a large portion of it because what God does with them is totally and completely separate from what he does with us. Um, Almost like, imagine that this is going to be a terrible analogy, so just know that up front. You would be hard-pressed to find a really good analogy uh, outside of Scripture, but for what it's worth, um, imagine that I have biological children, and I have adopted children. So, I could refer to all of my children, meaning the biological and the adopted. And of course, that is the natural reading of that, at least to my mind it is. But another way of referring to it uh, would be to divide them between those who are naturally my children and those whom I've taken in from, from other families. Which way I go on that very uh, has a very profound effect on what happens when I die and how we read my will. Because if I say, for example, in my will that I leave my fortune, let's just assume that I have a, a fortune, you know, for fun, that I leave my fortune to my children, 
Well, it's very important then for you to know what I mean when I say my children. Because if I only mean my natural children, then my adopted children, that doesn't affect them in any way. But if I mean all of my children, that has a very different effect. So again, that analogy breaks down in a lot of different ways, but just to kind of point out the importance of, of figuring that out and understanding when God refers to Israel, when God makes promises to Abraham and to David and elsewhere, is he referring only to a national ethnic group? Or is he referring to all of those who, like Abraham, had faith? in a coming Christ, who had faith in a redemption which is to come. Once again, I'm Dusty. I'm David. I'm Dustin. And I'm Nicholas.